Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. As always, I guess you're getting tired of hearing me say this, but as always, I'm very glad that you decided to join us here this morning. Of course, New Southern Garden is here to inspire you to grow new things, try new procedures in the garden, uh, even some old things, like we've talked about plenty of times before. Sometimes the old things can be just as new as the very newest edition plant that you find in the magazines. But it's not just about plants. It's about creating a sense of place in your garden, uh, giving you a, a spot, a, a recluse, recluse, that's not the right word, to give you somewhere to run away to, uh, to hide, to relax, maybe to play and recreate, to enjoy time with children and grandchildren and of course to grow vegetables to grow things that are going to give you nutrition and that are going to keep you healthy and, and happy as you go through this thing that we call life if you've missed any episode of new southern garden i want to gently remind you that every episode can be found on our website at newsoutherngarden.com as well as the podcasting apps you know one of those apps that i love is called tune in the TuneIn app, and I'll tell you why I love it, not just because you can on-demand select any episode of New Southern Garden that you'd like, but TuneIn is also a radio app, and so even if you're traveling this, we're getting close to fall, and if you decide to take some fall excursions away from the Northeast Georgia mountains, well, you can listen to uh, WRWH 93.9 FM right there on the TuneIn app, wherever you are, in this big round world so you don't have to be near cleveland in order to hear wrwh and the great programming that you enjoy here all you have to do is have an internet connection and usually you can find one of those uh, for free <laughs> in certain places mcdonald's the library wherever but if you are traveling definitely check out the TuneIn app or really you aren't traveling check out the tune in app as well we've talked about a lot of things this is already you know the second show of this month but we've talked about some things last week getting us ready for fall and i do want to continue that conversation talking about some great plant combinations for fall uh, also i do want to talk today about one of the biggest battles we have to fight in the garden and that is against weeds if you are planning to not be so intense with weeding this fall and winter, then you need to do some things now because now is the time to help prevent weeds. So today we're going to focus a little bit on preventing weeds in the landscape for, for the fall and winter. But before we get into all that, of course, today is September 11th, and it has been 20 years since the attacks on our nation. And because 
the show happens to fall on September 11th today, I thought that we would talk a little bit about that. And I guess it it's goes true, that, that old thing we used to say. Remember, I, I don't remember. If you're old enough to remember, you probably will. But they used to tell us as kids, you know, my parents, my grandparents, we remember where we were and what we were doing the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And then after 2011, uh, sorry, after 2001, 9-11, we were told the same thing. You will not forget where you were and what you were doing on September 11th, that dreadful morning. And I do remember. I was in the seventh grade. I was just getting out of my English class, headed to history. And we walked into the hallway as soon as the bell rang. And the, the aisle, the, well, the hallway was crowded, just crowded with kids. It always is in between class changes, right? But I remember distinctly two girls in my class who were coming from another uh, classroom, and they came in the hallway through these double doors, and they were just crying and screaming hysterically. And we look at them, and they say, We've been bombed! We've been attacked! And they're crying and screaming. And of course, we were just in English class a few moments ago. We had no clue what was going on. I, I suppose some of the students had heard the news. So we make our way to history after English. And I found out later that the school allowed the history teachers in the building to give, uh, or rather to turn the television on to let the children see what was going on, let the students see what was happening. And so the history teacher turns it on, and of course we see those dreadful and, and horrible images of the Twin Towers and the other sites, Pentagon, of course a site in Pennsylvania. And as a kid, you really don't understand what's going on, but it was like hysteria in the building for, for the rest of the day. And who really wanted to focus on learning biology or, or even learning history when history was being made right there before our eyes? So maybe today you recall that moment, that moment when you first heard the news. Where were you? What were you doing? And I think that we may want to continue to do that just in, in memory of the lives that were lost and the things that happened so that we never forget. We never forget. Well, of course, I wanted to tie all this together to gardens and, and gardening, and I thought, what kind of memorial gardens are out there for 9-11? There's got to be some. We know that after the towers had been destroyed that they rebuilt the World Trade Center there, super huge building, beautiful building. But what about gardens? And I found the uh, Garden of Remembrance, which is located in Pennsylvania. And of course, it is intended there for, uh, well, for all lives that were lost on that terrible day. Uh, but also, it's the official Pennsylvania memorial to the victims of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And they do, of course, highlight the Pennsylvanian lives and the folks who had been there in that part of the, the country uh, who were affected by those changes. Even They even uh, honor the children who lost parents that day. And so I thought that it would be uh, really, really nice to introduce you to this garden. It's a beautiful garden, and, and of course, you won't be able to see images of it right here. But that being said, you can check out images on their website at 911memorialgarden.org. 
I did find a video that's got some really good audio from the individuals who put all this together and the things that inspired them to create this garden, to create this landscape, uh, this tribute, if you will. And I thought that we could definitely play that. So we're going to um, l- let you listen to the audio. And you won't see the video, but maybe <laughs> in between some of the images or statements, I can tell you a little bit about what we're seeing. But again, all of this is on the website at 911memorialgarden.org. So if we can play that clip. September 11th. I was at my daughter's school and when I got home I saw on TV a plane crashing into the World Trade Center. That was my husband's plane. I'm Ellen Saracini and my husband Vic was the captain of United Flight 175 that struck the South Tower on September 11th. We felt powerless until a group of 9-11 family members decided to build a memorial to those we lost. Today our mission is clear. We want to preserve this 9-11 memorial for future generations to remember and honor all those that were taken from us. Come let me take you on a memorial journey. The Garden of Reflection was inspired by Bucks County families who envisioned a place where they could honor their loved ones and all who perished on that day. And designer Lou Balashik has wasted none of these grounds. You'll want to be sure, in the light of day, to take a good look at the Garden of Reflection. No doubt you saw the rusted wreckage over here of the Twin Towers when you arrived. But before you leave this evening, take another look and note that the steel is angled toward where the towers once stood. A maple tree has been planted on these grounds for each Bucks County and lost. And when darkness is here, you see 42 lights illuminating the walkway, which represent the number of Pennsylvania children who lost a parent on that day. But also note the topography of this surrounding lawn. It ripples away from the central focus of the memorial, symbolizing the shock that reverberated during and after the attack. As you wind toward the heart of the memorial, you'll see the names of all 2,973 victims etched in glass. And finally, you'll come to this reflecting pool. And in the reflecting pool, surrounded by the railing with names of local residents lost, you'll see indentations representative of the footprints of the Twin Towers with dual ascending fountains. It's a special place, and we all need to continue to visit here. Oftentimes, people who've heard me speak about the garden will say, I should go there. I should see that. Well, yes, they should. There's no way to better remember those that we lost and the day on which we lost them than by visiting the Garden of Reflection. Well, gang, I have to say that the images on the screen that we're seeing here is beautiful. It's a beautiful garden. They've got some images from throughout throughout the year, you can tell, because there are some uh, evergreen things and there are uh, some deciduous plants. I see a lot of native plants 
what a great way to memorialize uh, this this incident that happened. And, and we can do the same thing. We just need that inspiration. We need something to inspire us to do that. And, and maybe something worthy of actually, I don't know if there's any reason not to plant some kind of garden. There's a few things I do want to uh, inform you about this garden is, is the design itself. Now, it was professionally designed by landscape architects. And the uh, design, of course, the garden is called the Garden of Reflection, and it's designed as a gathering place, which invites us on a contemplative journey of remembrance, reflection, and healing. This memorial journey leads from sorrowful reminders of tragedy and grief towards luminous symbols of hope, peace, celebration, uh, and celebration of life. You notice that, uh, well, you may have heard in the video that this is an interesting curve, the pathway. There's a strong concrete pathway surrounded by grass and ornamental plantings and trees, shrubs, uh, but it's a, a tear-shaped it's a tear-shaped pathway, or the, the front of this garden is tear-shaped. And, of course, uh, that would lead us to think of the tears uh, that this incident caused us. The maple trees at the outer berm of this site represents the Bucks County residents that were lost in the attacks. And, of course, he mentioned in the uh, uh, video that the 42 lights along the spiral walk represent the 42 Pennsylvania children who lost a parent on that day. What a great way. Again, I think it's a, a great way. And we've talked about this before. When it, Probably every Memorial Day, we talk about creating a memorial garden. What a great way to remember and memorialize a person, an incident, or many people uh, who need to be remembered. I think that the symbolism they use is spot on and accurate. They even have fragments of building, uh, of, well, the buildings from New York City in the garden. And like he said on the video, that that fragment points in the direction. It's not set up straight vertically. It's set at an angle, uh, but it's pointing the, into the direction of New York City. And so, again, all of these elements, whether it's steel and concrete and lawn and grass and shrubbery and flowering perennials, uh, trees, they can be used. They can be brought together in such a creative way that you're able to achieve remembrance. The tree, the number of trees, the maple trees there, that, that symbolizes the number of lives lost, the number of lights that follow the pathway the number of children who lost a parent. And so these are just small little things that have been done to remember. And I hope today we take a moment to remember 20 years ago the lives that were lost, the people who were affected. After this, more gardening. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together.
Well, gang, here we are on this September 11th day. And I know that uh, if you're just well, if you're just joining us, you, you missed our, our little segment about the 9/11 Memorial Garden, the Garden of Remembrance, they call it. It is in Pennsylvania, and of course, it memorializes all the lives that were lost. But there is significant influence for those Pennsylvanians and the people who lived in Buck County, where the garden is located, specifically. So I just wanted to remind you to check out that website, 911memorialgarden.org. At least look at the images, the site, see what they've done. It's a really great tribute. Um, I really, I don't know how to go into from this conversation into preventing weeds, uh, but I know we need to get there. And so I'll just say, let's remember today. Let's take some moments to remember what we were doing when we heard, and of course, uh, maybe say a prayer for those who uh, still are struggling with the loss of, of the life uh, that, that took place 20 years ago. But being September, being September, this is, and nearly the center of st- September, the middle of the month, this is the time when we need to think about preventing weeds in the landscape. Now, we have talked about weeds in general, and we talked about preventing and getting rid of them after they've started growing before. Of course, all those episodes are online at NewSouthernGarden.com. But it's a very timely issue, because if you want to prevent weeds in your landscape, you've got to get a jump on it. I think you have probably already felt the chill coming in the air, the cooler weather. It doesn't mean that this cool weather is here to stay or get cooler just yet. It seems like we may have a little spike in temperature, but that is yet to be seen, or felt, I should say. But regardless, the middle of September is a great time to get started preventing weeds. Whether you're trying to prevent weeds in your lawn, or whether you're trying to prevent weeds in your flowering ornamental beds, or your vegetable garden, now is a good time to prevent weeds. And let me tell you why. We don't here in the South just struggle with weeds in the summer. Oh no. The South is a great place for growing things, especially weeds. And I say weeds with air quotes around it. I know you can't see that, but air quotes around weeds because, again, we've got to define that a weed is is something growing in the wrong place. Weeds are still plants too, and some plants that you want may become aggressive and weed-like. And they may need some controlling as well. But weeds in the South grow in two major seasons. That first season, we'll say, is spring and summer, the warm season. We have warm season weeds that love the temperatures from March and April all the way through September and October. But then, as soon as the weather changes, we have this shift. We have this change, and we have a cool season crop of weeds as well. So you will see certain weeds popping up pretty soon. I have started to see some seedlings, and I they're very small um, in my garden and in places at the nursery. I, I don't know if it's just one last crop of warm season weeds or if they will become something in the cool season weed group. But there are some things to look for. Of course, henbit, um, curly dock is, is a terrible weed that you find in a lot of pastures, but it may pop up in your place. Hairy bittercress, chickweed, annual bluegrass. All of these plants like the cooler season. They will start growing as soon as we start getting cooler, and then they will continue their life cycle until they reseed. 
next late winter or this coming late winter, uh, later in February and March. So right now, even though you can't see them, there are definitely, most likely, winter weed seeds either on the soil or below the soil in your annual beds, in your garden beds, your vegetable gardens, in your turf grass. You won't be able to really see these weeds, but there are surely some, whether there's a large number of them or a small number, hopefully a smaller number, that would be ideal. But there are definitely weed seeds here and there because weed seeds can be blown around in the wind. They can be carried by animals. They can be carried by lawnmowers in the summertime. And so right now, these weed seeds for winter weeds have been waiting all summer to germinate. They fell in, like I said, February and March of this year, but they've been waiting all summer until conditions are more ideal for their growth. And so these weed seeds are going to start germinating soon. Our goal today is to do certain things now that prevent them from even getting a chance to grow. The very first thing that we want to think about, which is not going to be beneficial for the upcoming weeds, but if you have any crabgrass, that's a summer weed, it's growing now and it's blooming now. Most of the summer weeds are blooming right now. And if not now, they surely will later. Some of them have already bloomed. But the very first step in any kind of prevention of weeds is going to be don't let those weeds drop their seeds. Don't let those weeds drop their seeds. You've got to do a few things before they flower and set their seed. The first thing to do is you can mow. In a lawn, it's easy to keep weeds at bay by frequent mowing. If you're mowing after they've dropped their seeds, well, guess what? Now you have weed seed in your soil that is going to wait to grow the next um, season when conditions are favorable. Mowing is a, an option in the uh, perennial beds, shrub borders, or vegetable gardens. You really can't mow right? Because you'd be mowing down your desirable plants. But you can trim and cut things back as soon as you see those weeds putting out flower buds. Then, of course, you can do what everybody has done since the beginning of gardening about 10,000 years ago, uh, or so history tells us, <laughs> is to pull weeds. You can pull them. You can use a hoe to disturb their root system and turn them over. But getting them out of the landscape, getting them out of those beds before they drop their seed is ideal. Now, once you've done all that, what can you do this weekend? What can you do this weekend to help prevent those weed seed that got by? They got by your efforts and they did fall to the ground. Well, the next thing you want to do other than don't let those plants go to seed is to mulch. Mulch is a, uh, golly, mulch is a, not just a no-brainer, it's a requirement. Mulching the ground creates a nice thick blanket, a nice thick blanket over the earth. Now, the main thing for preventing weeds that mulch does is to help suppress them. Because it's a thick blanket over the earth, you are preventing those weeds from absorbing light from the sun. So you are shading those weed seed out so that they don't have the ideal condition, which of course temperature, moisture are, uh, have to be ideal, but also sunlight has to be there. So mulch will help to suppress some weeds. It's not going to stop them all. 
because some weeds are very clever and I don't say tricky, but they are very clever on how to, uh, to, how to get started to germinate. And they, some will definitely get by your mulch blanket. But of course, mulch has plenty of other uses, especially over winter. It helps to keep the ground warmer. The soil stays moderated in temperature. The soil stays warmer, even though the air is much cooler. And that helps to protect your roots on your plants from getting too cold. It also helps to moderate soil moisture. So your root system is not too wet. It's not too dry. Now, with that being said, uh, it also helps to add organic matter. It helps to add organic matter as those natural mulches break down. They're going to build your soil and just make your plants healthier and happier naturally. But then I get the question of, well, how do I spread the mulch? How thick does it have to be? Well, there's an easy rule. It's called the two-by-two rule, Noah's Ark rule. First of all, you want to spread your mulch about two inches thick. Anything more and anything less is not helpful, could be detrimental. The other key when you're mulching around established shrubs, trees, perennials even, is to keep the mulch two inches away from the base of those trees or shrubs. So you don't want to be piling your mulch high around the branches and trunks of any trees or plants. Two by two, two inches thick and two inches away from the base of your plant. Well, gang, I have one more tip for you on getting prevention of weeds started ASAP as soon as we get back from this quick break. unfolded for the world to behold. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, this is New Southern Garden, and of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson. Uh, Very excited that you've decided to join us today. I will say that before the break, we were talking about weeds. And of course, weeds are those terrible things that tend to cause us major heartache and problem in the landscape. Whether you are growing a uh, lawn or maybe you are growing some kind of vegetable garden, perennial bed, perennial border, shrub garden, even trees, you're going to find competition. Those trees are going to have competition. Those shrubs are going to have competition, as well as your vegetable garden and your other flowering plants. The, the place we live in here, in the Northeast Georgia Mountains, is, was probably designed to grow gardens because everything does tend to grow very well here, as well as the vegetables we grow grow, so do weeds grow. And so, with all that being said, we are giving you tips today on trying to prevent winter weeds. Because winter weeds are on their way. Most likely, probably 99% sure here, that you have winter weed seeds somewhere in your lawn, flower beds, etc. 
you won't see you won't see the seeds per se but you can definitely see the plants when they start germinating but the things we want to do now is to prevent them from germinating prevent them from even getting a start in the landscape so we've already talked today about the most helpful way to prevent weeds is trying to not allow them to go to seed we don't want whether it's summer weeds or winter weeds to go to seed because every time a plant goes to seed it drops the seed on the ground and instead of one plant you may have the potential for hundreds of more weeds to grow so mowing those weeds in the lawn trimming them back in the beds or pulling them out and digging them out is going to be essential now you can use sprays and whatnot on those plants uh, but that is up to you now the next thing of course is to use mulch mulch is your friend in all different ways and we talked about that uh, just before the break so if you've missed any part of this show be sure to check us out online at newsoutherngarden.com where you can find every episode we've ever had as well as the podcasting apps including tune in you can listen to all of WRWH programming right there, but as well as Facebook and Instagram. Now, other than mulch, there are some other things that you can do, and it's not too complicated or complex, but there's a couple of options for you. In the world of herbicides, there are pre-emergence and post-emergence. Pre-emergence means a chemistry or product that is used to prevent the weed from growing. Now, post-emergent is after the plant has started to grow. So I'm going to talk just about pre-emergence because, again, we're trying to prevent weeds to grow in our fall gardens and winter gardens. So the pre-emergence are usually applied as either a granule or a liquid and they blanket the earth with essentially a chemical barrier that prevents the the weed seed from germinating that chemistry actually prohibits the process of germination and so a weed seed never gets the chance to become a weed with leaves and roots and stems and all that. So it's very helpful. It's very helpful. Now, uh, we, there are certain applications. You, as a matter of fact, people who pay a lawn service to look over their lawns, usually this is a, an annual routine. They have a few times throughout the year that they apply a pre-emergent. And of course, that is to help prevent having to spray weeds after uh, they become a problem. So you can use that in ornamental beds. You can use that in your lawn. Uh, it's not necessarily a great thing to use in your vegetable garden because most of the time in our vegetable gardens, we want to plant seeds that will then germinate and become vegetable plants like squashes and cucumbers and melons. And so if we use this product in the vegetable garden, then we will prevent those seeds we plant, those vegetable seeds we plant, from germinating. So usually, we don't use this option in the vegetable patch, that is. But there is another kind of pre-emergent that you can utilize that is organic. It's an organic option. And it's called corn gluten. 
Okay, corn gluten. We know that corn doesn't really have gluten, but that's the name that the old timers, if you will, the old timers gave it. And you usually apply it that may be in a powder or granular form, uh, but you can definitely get it in a liquid form. Uh, the product we have at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week, our corn gluten is in a bottle that attaches to your hose pipe, so you can spray it over lawns and spray it over the earth on your planting beds. But it, too, creates a blanket on the earth, and there is some properties in this stuff we call corn gluten. There are some properties that prevent or help to prevent weed seed from germinating. Some people swear by it, and, and it may not be, but it may not be quite as effective as some of the other chemical routes. Now, of course, there's a product that is a chemical pre-emergent called Preen, P-R-E-E-N. It's very common, well-known. And it's usually sold as a powder, or not a powder, but a granule that you sprinkle on the earth. Now, with that being said, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, we carry bonide products, and ours is called crabgrass and weed preventer. They put crabgrass on there because crabgrass is a problem in the south, but of course, crabgrass is a summer weed. But don't worry, that product will work on winter weeds as well, like annual bluegrass and chickweed and henbit, which are soon to show up in your landscape. So other than making sure your weeds don't have a chance to set seed and fall to the earth, making sure you mulch well, you can use products, uh, whether it's a liquid form or granular form, that will help to suppress and prevent weed seed from taking hold and growing a new plant. Now, you again, when it comes to chemistries, uh, it's up to you. I let you make the decision, do your research on what you would like to use, but there is that organic option as far as corn gluten goes. And so as long as you're growing, you're growing things well, and you are enjoying gardening, if you do what is approved by the USDA, by the FDA, etc., I would say let you make the decision if you'd like to prevent weeds completely organically or maybe use the use uh, the, the approved use, and follow the directions on any product you utilize. Of course, it's easy to ask the person who sells you the product how to use it, but you've got to read through the pamphlet on the back of that bottle or can uh, to make sure you are using the product in the safest way possible that the USDA, the FDA, whoever is approving these things, uh, that they have approved in that manner, and you use the manner in which they have approved. It goes both ways. Now, to wrap up this discussion on weeds today, I do just want to remind you that you've got to get a jump on preventing weeds. Whether you're going to mulch or whether you're going to use a combination of mulching and some chemistry or corn gluten, you've got to do it soon because the chill, as I said earlier, the chill is in the air. We're starting to transition into fall, and it's this period in between summer and fall that these weeds, these winter weeds, they love, and they will start revving up and start showing up in your landscape. So do that as soon as possible. I would say that uh, put it on your calendar. September 15th is a good time to start doing your pre-emergent weed prevention. Now, let's get out of the weed patch and actually start talking about some exciting and fun things that we can grow this year. <laughs> Anybody can grow weeds. I grow a lot of them, trust me. But not all weeds are beautiful. I don't know. That, that, that may be 
not politically correct. Some weeds are nice to have, but some weeds are not. And most of the time they are not. So what are some things you can do this fall and winter? Now, last week we started this conversation. In the fall and winter, there's usually two plants that we go for and only use. That's the mums, the chrysanthemums, and the pansies, the violas. But last week, I mentioned the Iceland poppy, which is a great plant. Usually, you have to start that from seeds, so go ahead and get some seeds this weekend and get those stuck in. Uh, But then we did talk about uh, snapdragons. Snapdragons is a great option. Now, these are all annual plants that are not going to return, but they do, well, they may drop seed in return, back to that whole idea about plants dropping seed in (laughs) becoming weeds. But regardless, they like the cooler weathers, and they will perform for you where petunias and begonias have already started to fail, uh, started to look ratty, started to look shabby. Well, soon when the winter chill hits them, They're going to completely look really awful. So some new things you may want to try is grasses. Grasses for the fall are great. Of course, grasses, they give you that soft, wispy texture, you know, that soft, wispy texture that just gently blows in the autumn wind. You know, now these can be used in containers as centerpieces. Remember, for a container, usually we look for a thriller, which skyrockets and shows off. We look for a filler, which just kind of sits there nice and pretty and shows itself in many ways, whether it blooms or has beautiful foliage. And then we have spillers. Of course, spillers, they go down over the edge of a pot, over the edge of a container, cascading towards the earth. So we have something called a thriller going into the sky, something to fill the space right at the base of the container and then of course something to extend down over the front we call fillers so we're going to talk about a few other options but grasses are great especially switch grasses because they will show off here soon and the switch grasses we have at the nursery will have beautiful fall color they're not going to last all winter well their dry leaves will last all winter uh, which turn nice golden color I think they're attractive even in their winter coat. But regardless, the switchgrasses and little blue stems that we have, they're both native plants. They fit well in a container. They're going to get nice and robust for a container to really give you that, that thriller effect. But most importantly, they're going to start changing as the leaves on the trees change, and they're going to really show off with some oranges, reds, purples, yellows. They're going to look great. Now, of course, sedum. Sedums are wonderful. Uh, Most sedums tend to be, uh, well, the trailing sedums tend to be uh, evergreen, meaning that they should have some kind of presence in the pot all year. Now, of course, sometimes we consider certain sedums semi-evergreen, which means they may look really good in the winter. They may not. They may lose some leaves. But regardless, most of the sedums we would use this time of year would have to be perennial, which means they'll come back. You can trim them back in the spring. They'll reflush if they get lanky, and they will look good through summer and winter. So think about trailing sedums for those kind of spillers to pop them over the edge. We have one called, uh, oh, it's slipping my mind. It's lemon ball, lemon ball sedum, very bright yellow chartreuse leaves, and it looks amazing. It looks outstanding, and it will spill over the edge of a plant. There's Angelina. She's a dependable old fat. I wouldn't say too old-fashioned, but she's been around a while. The Angelina sort of turns bronzy red in the winter, and just imagine that color spilling over the edge of your container. Could look amazing with some other plants in the mix. Now, let's, I know we got to get to a break, but there is a group of plants that we want to talk about. They're called the coral bells or the foam flower. Now, many coral bells and foam, well, many coral bells, not necessarily foam flower, but they are 
evergreen. And so there are many shades of the coral coral bells. They have these big broad leaves, usually in the purples, in the reds, in the almost blacks and yellows and bright greens, and they can look amazing and outstanding in a container. They bloom in the spring, so once you've enjoyed their foliage over winter, then in the spring you get a great flower show. Just these nice little tiny bells hanging off this tall spike. And it looks amazing. Well, gang, when we get back, we're going to talk about even more plants that you can use in containers and really anywhere for this fall and winter. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, the fall chill is in the air. The temperatures feel like they're changing, but will they stay? I know it's been comfortable this week, mostly. Maybe we'll have a little surge, a little bump in some summertime weather again. I don't know, but regardless, I can't help but let this nice weather we've been having encourage me to talk about gardening in the fall and winter. We touched on it last week, but I thought we would expand this week with talking about even more interesting and unique plants that you can use other than mums and pansies. I know that you're going to be all rushing out to Lanier Nursery and Gardens where you can find me throughout the week for your pansies and mums pretty soon, Uh, but there are some other things. I hate to say I may not have everything I talk about today at the nursery, but surely you can find some other local plant nurseries. That's where I like to start. Start with the local guys. Start with the people up and down the street because they are the ones who are growing in your region and they know what's best. A lot of the box stores get plants in in mass and they ship them all over different zones. Well, guess what? You don't live in zone three or four. If you're here in Northeast Georgia, you live in zone seven and you need plants that are situated and suitable for our site. We were talking about some plants like switch grasses and uh, blue stem, little blue stem grasses and trailing sedums. Uh, we did talk ab- about heucheras and the foam flowers. Now, heucheras, like I said, they come in all kinds of patterns of colors and shapes, uh, sizes. But usually, many of the new uh, varieties are evergreen, so they make a good choice. They make a very good choice, actually, uh, for fall and winter gardens, because it's going to get cool, and you don't want something to just shrivel away. You want it to be evergreen, if possible. Now, there is a plant that uh, I don't know if I should or shouldn't talk about, but there are some new varieties that have improved the old-fashioned. It's called Oregon Grape Holly. Now, Oregon grape holly, it does, it is native to North America, not our region of North America. It's native to Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. But Mahonia is another name for it. And 
Whether you know it by one name or the other, you've probably heard some bad things about it. And for good reason, because uh, the the traditional kind that was grown here in the South that came from Oregon became quite invasive. As a matter of fact, you may find it growing in the woods that neighbors your property or, or along the pathway at the park you walk downtown, especially downtown because there's a lot of houses, old houses that used to grow this. Now, Oregon grape holly, though, is a pretty plant or mahonia. It's evergreen. It's got thick leathery leaves, and the leaves are what we call pinnate. Now, here's a nice little uh, botanical term for you. Pinnate means feather-like. It doesn't mean that the leaves are soft like a feather. It means that the leaves are shaped around the stem like a feather. So if you can imagine the leaf having a strong midrib and then leaves coming off the side of that, much like a feather. They're huge leaves, though. But there are some smaller ones like Soft Caress Mahonia, which I think is one of the better selections. There is a species of Mahonia that uh, comes from a different part of the world that doesn't seem to be invasive and taking over our woodlands and escaping cultivation. So if you're going to look into the Mahonias or Oregon Grape Hollies or Grape Holly in general, probably shouldn't grow the Oregon kind. Uh, But if you're going to look into that, just make sure that there's no problem with it growing in your area and escaping the other benefit to Oregon grape holly is that it blooms in the late winter usually about February and the blooms are a striking yellow now you may find some cultivars that are paler or richer or of a different shade uh, but usually yellow is the color and they stand right on top of the flower just a uh, right on top of the plant just a nice um, sort of spike of yellow And of course, it blooms when nothing else does, and it's evergreen. But the texture of this plant, being feather-like in a way, it's a softer texture, even though the tips of the leaves have some tiny little spikes. Uh, Don't get too close and friendly with it, but definitely plant it somewhere uh, where it can be enjoyed and contrasted with the, the its rich dark green leaves, sometimes sort of shiny can be contrasted with something bright yellow or purple or 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 something uh, with large leaves because its leaves are generally smaller now what about using vegetables okay vegetables are a great option too there are ornamental kales and there are ornamental lettuces even there's all kinds of ornamental vegetables in my opinion it doesn't have to strictly be ornamental The ones that you grow in the garden can be very beautiful as well. So you may use some of these vegetables in your containers. And then, of course, if you use something like kale, you can clip off some leaves and take it inside and use it for supper. So using kale for beauty is one thing, but using it in the kitchen is another. Multi-purposed, multi-purpose plant. There are some other things that I think here would be a great little container to create, not just using plants. What if you had a very wide container, uh, maybe 20 inches, 15 inches, whatever, and you put plants in the center? Uh, You could use, you could definitely use pansies. You could use some of the things we've talked about. Maybe a mum. You could use a heuchera. You could use a sedum. But then around the edge of that container, around the pot, how about you use some of the ornamental gourds? Remember how you can go this time of year when the harvest is at its peak? You can go into the markets and you can find ornamental gourds. You can Use those in the container for color as well. Because, of course, those gourds come in yellows and oranges and all kinds of things. It can be really a pretty thing. 
Now, what about some herbs? There are some herbs that are perennial. There are some herbs that are evergreen. Of course, rosemary uh, is one of those. Lavender is another herb that is evergreen. So you can use herbs in these containers. Not many herbs are going to be blooming in the cool season, but their foliage, especially with rosemary and lavender, their foliage is usually more gray, gray green, if you will. I don't know if I would quite say blue, but definitely that light, bright gray color can look good against the dark foliage of the coral bells or dark foliages of pansies even. I'm not saying let's not use pansies, but let's add to the pansies and try to get something a little different. Now, one last mention about uh, grass-like plants. We talked about using uh, deciduous grasses when we first started this discussion, things like the switchgrass and the little blue stem. But of course, they're going to dry out and turn golden for the winter. But there are some grass-like plants called carex, the carexes or sedges. And I'm not talking about nut sedge, which is a terrible weed. We're talking about ornamental sedges. Sedges perform wonderfully in almost any site. Usually, they can handle dry soil. They can handle wet soil. They can handle soil that is compact. They can handle soil that's soft and loamy. But regardless, the sedges are usually, not all of them, but the sedges and juncus is another group of plants you may look into. Juncus, a terrible name, but a beautiful plant. They stay green all year. Sometimes these sedges and juncus have dark green leaves, and sometimes they have bright yellow leaves, chartreuse whatnot. There's one juncus called Big Twister. Now, tw Big Twister has grass-like foliage, so it comes out of the ground like a grass, but instead of being a straight uh, blade of grass, it's a twisted Literally, it's like you curled it with a hot iron or rolling uh, hair rollers. It's an amazing little plant. So that's Big Twister. But it can be a thriller for sure. It can stand up in the center of a pot and be loud and proud, giving um, support to all the flowering things underneath it. Well, gang, again, today is September 11th. I hope you take some time to remember what happened 20 years ago to this nation and to those who lost family members. For New Southern Garden, I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping that you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week, gang. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.